I'm Tim Baker, host of the Pulse Podcast. In this episode, I sat down with Faye Rodenberg, CEO of Firefly Health, a healthcare delivery organization that's using a virtual first care model to deliver concierge medicine at scale. Faye has been a partner at multiple venture firms, including Kleiner Perkins, LG Ventures, and Premji Capital. She was eventually lured away from the investing world to lead Firefly Health because she was sold on Firefly's view of healthcare which is that the current system was built to support an outdated episodic care model that doesn't provide the best care to those who actually need it. To address these issues, Firefly launched a virtual primary care platform that is expanded to offer a holistic virtual first care model, including both behavioral and specialty care options. In April of 2021, they announced a $40 million Series B raise, led by Andreessen Horowitz, that they'll use to expand their offering to include a health plan product, that they hope will better align the financial incentives for them and their customers. Hey, Faye, how are you? Welcome. We're super happy to have you. Thanks, Tim. I'm very happy to be here. Exciting stuff. Um, So to get started, we'd just love to know what you wanted to be when you grew up. Ooh, that's a good question. The first thing I remember was a lollipop salesperson. And from there, I think it evolved to actress and then lawyer and then entrepreneur. And I stuck with that one. Did you ever try and sell lollipops? How far did that one go? I didn't, but I was a real expert lemonade salesperson. So I think I, I got to practice my, my sales uh, skills then. Uh, that's perfect. Apparently, it translates well into being an investor and an operator. Um, so yeah. why don't we chat a little bit about that? So you've been the, a partner at a couple different venture firms. You've operated a couple different healthcare startups, even started your career as a software engineer. So can you connect yeah. sort of the thread of, of all these experiences? Yeah. Um, I mean, for one, I'd say I never had a career plan to say, but I like solving or supporting others trying to solve really hard problems that matter. My original thread was distributed systems, but this evolved as my first company that sold mainly to healthcare organizations exposed me to the mind-blowing number of problems and bloat to address in the system, and I became obsessed. And I'd say, if anything, bloat is my common thread. Before Firefly, I ran a digital health company focused on utilizing excess capacity within health systems by filling canceled appointments with virtual or in-person visits. And the results were good, you know, reduced wait times two to four weeks, we filled slots, boosted revenue, but didn't address the underlying issue, which is that most visits don't need to occur at all, and certainly not within health systems. And in some ways, it was an example of the first wave of digital health companies solving for convenience, but not actually for value. And I think as I went from there, I really began focused more on solving for the value and in that trying to get rid of bloat. And that sort of led me to Firefly. So Faye, can you give us a little bit of background, sort of who is Firefly and where are you guys going now? Yeah. So it all comes down to our mission, which is half price healthcare that's twice as good clinically and emotionally. We started out as a care delivery organization really focused on virtual first primary care, behavioral health care, low-level specialty care and navigation. And through that model, we've been able to demonstrate the twice as good clinically and emotionally. Exceptional chronic condition outcomes, exceptional MPS. And really where we're going right now, we're at an exciting inflection point of going from pure care delivery org to health plan. So really adding coverage to our care. 
And the goal there is that we want to bring the half price, that financial alignment, alongside the clinical and experiential outcomes. Yeah. So can you tell me how you initially heard about Firefly? So you were, at the time, you were in the world of investing, you were working yeah. in a venture firm. So what convinced you to jump ship and join Firefly? Yeah. So I met Andy Elner, one of the co-founders of Firefly, actually at the Harvard Medical School Board of Fellows Dinner in 2017 or 18. Actually, Elizabeth Holmes was at, at our table too. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that's and, timely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I was intrigued by his, by his vision and kept in touch and began spending first a day a week with the company, then two days a week, and then three days a week. And I was completely hooked. And I left venture to join as president, became CEO about a year ago. But I believe that Firefly was and really is the tip of the spear to addressing that bloat in healthcare. You know, moving from a visit-based model to longitudinal model of care and using the relationship of primary care as a lever to engage people meaningfully and help here. So you mentioned Annie Elner, and I know another one of the founders, Jeff Greenberg, who's a Wharton mm-hmm. alum, so I'm giving him a, a special shout out. But I know you mentioned that they're both worked at the Center for Primary Care at Harvard University. While I can't condone Harvard itself, um, it obviously has a pretty strong reputation. So can you tell about how that experience shaped how they thought about primary care and then how that led to Firefly? Yeah. So it was actually Andy who started the Center for Primary Care at Harvard Medical School. Jeff was at the Brigham. So they were both part of the partner's ecosystem, but it was Andy who was involved in starting the Center for Primary Care at Harvard Medical School, which I've taken to call in $50 million of free R&D for Firefly. Essentially, what he did was he spent a decade really looking at how primary care can be a lever for value within the health system. And I would say that you know, real summary of his conclusion is that in order to do this, he had to get out of the belly of the beast. You had to be truly independent. And that was the birth of Firefly. I would say sub bullets to that are the premise of the Firefly model, which is that our healthcare system was built for the 19th century, where when vast majority of death disease costs driven by things that could be treated in singular episodic visits in physical places. Fast forward to today, vast majority of death, disease, illness, behaviorally driven, requires continuous touch points and this longitudinal model of care. And then that is really the driver for addressing the causes of death and disease and certainly value. And that was the premise for Firefly is actually building that care delivery model to provide longitudinal care through a more expansive view of primary care. And so that means primary care that breaks down the silos between primary care and specialty care, between primary care, behavioral health care. And can you talk a little bit more about the care model itself? So what's the secret sauce? Is it a customized team structure for an individual person? Um, Is it the longitudinal care? Sort of what is that secret sauce that allows uh, your primary care model to unlock uh, the value that we've been discussing? Yeah, I'd say it's our full platform. So it's really the care model plus the tech plus the ops built for that continuous proactive relational care to support the behaviors that drive great health outcomes. Yeah. And why don't we talk a little bit about the results? Because I know Firefly's goal is to deliver healthcare that's twice as good and it's half the cost. And I hope it is that simple, but I know it isn't. So can you talk about how you're doing against those goals? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, through our, you know, and I, I would agree, it's, it's, it's far from simple. And as you mentioned, we started out as this virtual care company. And the key premise of our care model is being empathetic, relationship-driven care. 
And our care team has created this ongoing relationship with patients, leading to higher engagement, better patient outcomes, and more affordable care. And through our care delivery model, we've actually already been able to demonstrate, in many ways, the twice as good clinically and emotionally part. We're about 25 to 30% on the cost. Uh, in terms of results, our chronic condition outcomes are about twice as good as the commercial average. And this is a top chronic conditions across our patient populations. So that's hypertension, diabetes, anxiety, depression, obesity. And our MPS is far higher than that. So about 80s right now. And these results were really part of the motivation for us to become a health plan, which would enable us to pass financial savings alongside the clinical and experiential outcomes that we're providing today. You know, if you want more outcomes, some additional results, you know, one in four of our members are engaging with us weekly. We're seeing a 53% reduction in visits to the ER. Specific chronic condition outcomes, 80% of our members met hypertension, have hypertension at goal. Uh, obesity patients have lost 10% of their body weight on average. So really significant outcomes. So this care model is here. So can we talk about how it works operationally? Let's say if I'm a patient and let's say I have diabetes in this situation and I want to talk to someone about my day, I'm, maybe I'm not feeling so well. Can you talk about sort of how it would work in that specific situation to make it a little yeah. more concrete? Yeah, so absolutely. So I, I think one thing to note about our care model is that every single member that joins Firefly gets their own care team that includes an MD, an MP, a health guide, a behavioral health specialist, and a consulting psychiatrist. So in that instance, if you said they aren't feeling well, that would probably be the health guide. And there, we have health guides that are often trained in certain areas. So they would engage with them in, in most instances, you know, hopefully we're already doing some sort of remote patient monitoring. So we, we're already checking in with them. It wouldn't actually take the outreach, but it's, it is these continuous proactive touch points. And, and I would say that that is probably the biggest driver for a lot of our model. We make it really easy and really convenient for people to engage with us. That's sort of the first thing. It's the convenience. And then the second, you know, our second platform pillar is, is just that proactive behavior support. So the, all of these little nudges and touch points, and it's through that, that we really build a relationship and a bond. And that's what earns us the right to navigate, to steer, to be the first place that patients turn when things really go wrong. And forgive me, I mean, it, it sounds, so I know you've achieved incredible cost savings. I, I think you mentioned 30% as something to anchor around. and that care model sounds expensive. So can you talk about sort of what is driving those cost savings relative to what sounds like a care model yeah. that that's, has a pretty labor-intensive set of team members? Yeah, I mean, but it's, it's a leveraged care team. So that one care team, it's 5,000 patients per MD. So each MD is seeing an order of magnitude more patients than a typical PCP would because we're really you know, a lot of the work is going to MPs, a lot of the work is going to health guides, a lot of the work is going to behavioral health specialists. So while it's a large team, it's also a much larger panel size. And I think one of the beauties of our model is that you're able to have that many touch points with that large of the panel. Um, and in terms of where the savings are coming from, it really comes down to large areas to date, it, which is through utilization and unit cost. And in terms of utilization, I mentioned we're seeing about a 53% reduction in ER admissions and a huge decrease in specialty visits, largely because patients are getting directly care directly through specialists on our platform, or we're doing e-consults and doing away with the need for a visit at all. In terms of unit cost, this is really all comes down to navigating. 
So we're navigating to high value, lower cost options with great quality metrics, both within our virtual first network and external partners. And all of this comes down to trust and relationship. And I keep saying this, but I, I don't think I can hammer it home enough, but it's through the relationship that we built with our patients that we earn the right to navigate them and become that first place they turn for any care. No, that makes sense. Can we talk a little bit about that navigation piece? So you built this virtual first uh, specialty network, and then you also have physical locations that you partner with. So can you talk about uh, how the criteria you look for when you are building out the virtual network and then the physical locations as well? Yes, I can. I'm also just going to piggyback on on just one thing in my previous answer, which is, you know, I think it's important to note when I talk about utilization that it's it's not about eliminating care, but it's really, again, coming back to bloat, it's about getting rid of the bloat and added costs of traditional visit-based medicine. You know, so we're really able to double down on that human relationship and provide continuous support across the entire medical and behavioral spectrum. I, you know, I like to think of ourselves as Marie conduing the healthcare system. We are eliminating unnecessary visits, replacing many with continuous chat and care plan interaction, virtualizing the rest, and then redirecting what remains to ourselves or network partners. And talking about sort of how you build those network partners, and are you building out the specialty network yourselves? So you're hiring those specialists internally, or do you contract with external vendors for those sorts of things? Yeah, so we have worked really hard to build out our virtual first network, which is a a core differentiator of this model. And this includes both individual specialists that are practicing directly on our platform. It includes virtual centers of excellence. It includes individual digital health companies. It includes physical facility partners. These can be OBs, PTs, value-based health systems, urgent cares, where your personal care team member can be on the screen while someone else is palpating your abdomen. And we have about we have over 120 of these partners to date. Um, and I think what we've done is actually stitch all of them together. So stitching together the virtual and the in-person into this comprehensive virtual first network. It's a huge area of investment for us and one that you know is con- going to continue to be at the forefront of our efforts so that we get our network to the place where it is actually a standalone rentable network to other digital health builders that want a virtual first network. How do you think about building that out? Are you searching for quality providers? Are you searching based on what your consumers now are asking for? So how do you think about building out that specialty network sort of more operationally? What's informing the decisions to hire certain specialists over others and and figure out sort of what the ratios between patients and specialists might need to be? Yeah. So in terms of thinking about how we build that out, you know, that is, you mentioned Jeff Greenberg, the Wharton alum, this is his area. He's our chief network officer. So he is tasked with, with that role and he's really done a tremendous job. And you know, we have our own prioritization framework. First of all, just looking at what are the top 10 most commonly referred to specialties. And that that those were the first things that we did alongside the baseline network. And I consider the baseline network, you know, what do you need to be able to deliver an end-to-end traditional primary care experience. So where are the hands that you need? So this includes last mile partners. So EMTs and nurses that we can send to your home. This is the urgent cares. These are things when you need hands on you, ensuring that we have those hands. And then the second piece are those individual specialties. Then once you identify, once we identify those, there's basically we have a prioritization matrix that helps us decide where it makes sense to have either an individual specialist, a virtual center of excellence, a digital health partner, complemented by a physical facility partner. And in many cases, it can be a combination of all three. And just out of curiosity, I know state 
by state regulations are different around licensing and being a provider yeah. in that state. How much of that has been a challenge for you as you've built out this network? Huge challenge. Um, huge challenge, a huge area of investment. You know, we, we're working with, with one vendor partner to help with the credentialing and licensing credentialing, but it's just a big load. It's just an operational load. It's just a time-intensive operational load um, for our clinicians and for us that right now there is no way around, especially as a lot of the regulations that went into place uh, during the pandemic are, are being rolled back. I'd love to talk a little bit more about Firefly in, in a linear way. And you mentioned this. So you started as we're going to do primary care differently and we're going to have this care model that makes sense. And then you said, okay, maybe it makes sense to add on the virtual first specialty network and sort of this unique specialty network into the model. And now I think pretty recently um, have launched health plan as part of this offering. Was this always on the roadmap or or sort of how did the strategy to develop to continue expanding the offering? Yeah. I mean, in some ways it all fits within the mission, the broader mission and our evolution has just gotten us closer and closer to achieving that. So our mission, as you said, it's half price healthcare. That's twice as good clinically and emotionally. But clinically and emotionally, we have really gotten through that first piece, which is our care delivery, ourselves as a care delivery organization. And even that, there's two major pieces. I'd say there's the care and there's the network. So it's our care delivery, it's our leveraged care team um, and model, and it is our network and navigation. You know, part of that model, it's the supreme convenience, it's the proactive behavior support, it's the persistent intelligent navigation through every corner of care. In order to actually take that the next step and actually bring real financial alignment. That's what encouraged us to actually build out a plan built around our care delivery model. So we're actually putting coverage around the care. And the the real motivation there is that we wanted to have greater alignment with all end users. We wanted to be able to deliver those savings, not just to health plans or self-insured employers, but also to small, medium businesses that today aren't able to realize those savings. I know that was a central theme of the really impressive Series B raise that you guys completed recently was um, this ability to align incentives. So I'd love to talk about what that means and sort of why you chose... It seems like you guys are choosing the small, not yet self-insured employers. So I'd love to talk about sort of why you chose that as a target population for this uh, shared savings concept. So you're just launching the health plan product and, and it seems like you're choosing these small, fully insured employers as the beachhead. Can you talk about why you made that decision? Yes. And I will say that we are also targeting self-insured, but lower mid-market. So 2,500 employees and below. The fully insured, and there's two products. So there's one for the self-insured and there's one for the fully insured. For the fully insured... For them, it's just a health plan, but behind the scenes, it's, it's a captive. And what that means is we're actually pulling together many fully insured small businesses into one self-insured medical group captive. What this means is for the first time, these small businesses are actually able to receive a direct financial ROI from Firefly. So I mentioned that we're seeing you know, 25 to 33% savings. The 50% is where we want to get to. That's the aspiration. Today, those savings are only going back to the health plan. But by joining this Firefly plan, this captive, for the first time, those savings are actually passed back to the individual small business. So we're enabling them to basically act like a large self-insured without any of the additional administrative complexity. And we are purchasing stop loss on their behalf. So usually you cannot purchase stop loss at such a subscale, but that is part of what our model enables. 
And are you worried at all that sort of if within this, that one of the fully insured doesn't do as well, that then it can sort of drag down the entire captive? Are you structuring the stop loss such that that's not really a concern? Yeah, so that's that's part of how we're, we're structuring the stop loss. Uh, we're working with with a partner, a stop loss reinsurance partner, Summit Re, who has been tremendous, and it's been very encouraging to see how even the quotes are are we're getting a real discount on our premium quotes based on our care model and our results to date, which is what we'd hoped. But most stop loss providers will not do that. Got it. That's super helpful. So I know your original customers were capitated arrangements with large insurance companies. Um, So did they carve out certain customer sets for you guys or um, was it available to all of their members? So currently only serving the commercial population. So that narrows us to 18 to 64. And within that, we really work for everyone. But the majority of our patients have, I would say, some form of chronic condition. But not everyone, but I would say the majority. So it's not just for the, you know, the healthy, wealthy tech elite. Behavioral health is huge. And the integration of behavioral health in our model alongside the primary care makes a big difference. I mentioned hypertension, diabetes, obesity, anxiety, depression. Under 40, what we're really seeing is a lot of behavioral health. Our average age is in early to mid-40s. And yet, you know, it doesn't just appeal to the the 20-something. And was that surprising? Did you end up having to change sort of the ratios of behavioral health providers in your care teams as a result of this? Or no. how surprising did you find that? I mean, in some ways, I actually think it's it's the opposite. I think that people are attracted to us for that because behavioral health is so core to our model and it's part of our messaging and part of what we put forth. So I actually think a lot of people come to us recognizing that they can also get behavioral health alongside. So we can take care of about 85% of all behavioral health concerns in-house without needing to refer out. So for complex cases of schizophrenia, for example, long-term therapy, we'll refer out to partners, but we'll do short to medium-term therapy. We'll manage you know, all forms of anxiety, depression, suicidality in-house. And are there any other conditions outside of behavioral health that you found uh, sort of benefit from the model or have been sort of a higher proportion that you might have expected going in? I mean, I'm, I'm, I see it across the board. Um, I really see it across the board. And it makes sense because our model is built for that proactive, continuous touch points. That is, that's how you change behaviors that result in disease. If you look, I mentioned this at the start, but you know, drivers of death disease, it's lung disease, it's heart disease. A lot of this requires these continuous proactive touch points. And that's what the Firefly model is built for. It's the whole idea of blowing up the annual physical and actually, you know, blowing it up into all of these many touch points that address things along the way. Uh, So, you know, there's a substance use disorder there. We have partners that we work with, but we're able to do a lot of the initial intervention. We see a lot of just within behavioral health, um, a lot of insomnia, things like that. Got it. And I think how recently was the launch of the health plan for you guys? Yeah. So it is, it's officially launching in January. So it is not launched yet. We are, we are rearing to go and accelerating towards that launch in January. That's really exciting. Can you talk about some of the operational challenges? So insurance is obviously a a very different business than care delivery. Can you talk about some of the operational challenges of standing up what might be considered a a totally different type of business? 
Yeah, I, I would actually say, you know, our core business model is still very much at the core of this product. And because we built everything around our ability to provide incredible proactive care and have always invested in our ability to navigate patients throughout their healthcare journey, even before we were incentivized to do so. I think that's what makes this plan different is that it really is coverage built around the care. So I would say it's not a new business model. It's really just an extension of what we're doing. You know, to make this work, we had to take our model and just build a benefit design around it. We partner and deeply integrate the administration of a plan with the team delivering the care. And we've had to open up communication between care teams and benefit designs, TPAs, PBMs, while convincing underwriters and stop loss that our model and cost containment reduces costs to pass on to employers. From an operational standpoint, we needed to determine what we build ourselves and where we wanted to partner with really strong philosophically aligned companies that would contribute and complement our launch. So we're partnering with Flume as our TPA to handle claims processing, partnering with Capital Rx as our PBM and trust that their transparent pricing model will add value to our benefit. We were fortunate, I mentioned, to already have a very robust operating platform that we built and this complements this evolution. From a tech perspective, it's really about investing most in the integration work with these partners and then adding additional areas of member experience. So for example, our health guides and navigators are now taking on benefit navigation beyond just care navigation. Got it. So it sounds like the core business model and what you guys are operating internally is still very much focused on the care delivery. And then for the aspects of the health plan that are maybe more logistical, it's it's a little bit more outsourcing to some really strong vendors in, in some of those situations? I will say that it's outsourcing the claims processing. We're still owning all of the member experience portions mm-hmm. of that. You know, We're not becoming a PBM. We've selected a PBM. And in some ways, what's unique about our partners is that rather than outsourcing that entire swath of work, we've actually unbundled every single component. And we've sort of taken on a lot of those bundles and then rebundled it in a way around the care. So most of the time, if you look at traditional plans, it is coverage at the core. So it's your TPA, it's your stop loss, it's your PBM. It's all the administrative things at the core. And you have the care providers, you have the patient on the outside. What we're doing that's really different is, first of all, we're putting the care and the patient at the core, and then we're unbundling all of the other pieces of the coverage we're taking ownership of a lot of them and then rebundling them so that they fit around the care model. Like that is the fundamental, you know, I would say innovation of our plan offering. Are you nervous at all becoming a health plan yourselves that you might alienate some of what are your current clients through your capitated arrangements with insurers? You know, I'd say that I think it's a conversation that we've had with all of them and have been very straightforward that we are becoming a plan. We are open in some instances to partnering with them in offering a dedicated plan, X plan plus Firefly virtual plan offering. And in some instances, that will be a path that we go down. But otherwise, this is the direction we're going. Makes sense. And just to talk a little bit about next steps with the Series B raise, I know it's really focused on launching the health plan, but I know you've also been dubbed sort of the virtual first Kaiser. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you see this as an apt comparison one? And do you have any plans to uh, maybe even have brick and mortar locations similar to Kaiser? Yeah, so it's definitely an apt comparison, though I sometimes call us, uh, you won't be surprised, a bloatless Kaiser. And it's not that we're, it's not only that we're removing a lot of the bloat of traditional medicine, so unnecessary procedures, referral visits, but 
We're also doing away with owning large physical facilities. And instead, we're partnering. So I don't view us owning any of these, but we will continue to partner with urgent cares, potentially value-based health systems, last mile partners to send nurses and EMTs directly to the home. And this way, we're always able to get people in for in-person care, get the care to them when needed without owning the assets or as a result, overly relying on them. Got it. And recently, we've seen sort of a wave of companies trying to innovate in different care models. I think in Medicare, there's Oak Street, ChenMed. In Medicaid, it's it's city block uh, commercial. It seems to be you guys among a few others. How mm-hmm. do you think about some of these competitors or contemporaries? And what do you think about their care models in comparison to yours? And and sort of what? How do you feel about this general wave of new care models and new care delivery systems? Yeah, I mean, I think that the care models and the spirit of of all of those that you mentioned are really complementary and philosophically aligned. I think that they all take a very value based care team driven approach, most of them tied much more to physical assets than others, although all of them have had to quickly adopt more virtual models in the past year and a half. You know, it's really the population. That's the difference. You know, all of the examples that you cited are focused on Medicare and Medicaid, and we're focused on the commercial population, you know, the messy middle, the rest of us. and, And I think that that is a distinct difference alongside the virtual first nature of what we're doing, where we're really trying to build everything we do virtual first and then provide the physical care when needed, but don't rely on that as the first touch point. And I think COVID has been the reason why a lot of these companies have rapidly tried to integrate more virtual care delivery. How have you seen COVID affect sort of your care delivery, maybe your uptake Um, It seems a little bit prophetic to have started this virtual first care delivery and then have telemedicine explode in the way it has. I mean, if anything, it's I thought it was going to take another two, three, four, five years for people to actually accept that really high quality care could be delivered virtually. And instead, in the course of a quarter, all of a sudden, people, not only did they they grasp it, but they actually experienced it themselves, you know exceptionally high quality care virtually. So in some ways it's, you know, it's enabled us to just skip over all of that evangelizing. On the other hand, it's certainly a noisy market because now everyone is claiming that they're providing virtual primary care, virtual care. Oftentimes it's just virtual urgent care. And I think that that's one of the things that we have to look out for because simply virtualizing visits that shouldn't happen in the first place is not going to result in the change that we need. So we need to fundamentally change the way that care is delivered. And right now I'm seeing a lot of people that are solving for convenience, you know, by just virtualizing appointments versus rethinking whether or not those should actually occur over a series of asynchronous chat messages or a care plan interaction and then a quick touch in. And whether or not it needs to be with an MD, maybe it should be with a health guide instead or a behavioral health specialist and actually fundamentally rethinking the way that the care is delivered. So it's not just creating the care that we have now and just making it online. It's it's rethinking how it's delivered, the model that's delivered. It if we want like to move the- things forward, absolutely. I mean, I talked in the beginning about how I thought the first, you know, the first wave of digital health companies was all about convenience. The next, I think, is value, and we're beginning to see that. And I think the third wave, which is where we really want to play, is actually putting that value back in the pockets of all end users. So that includes these small businesses and individuals that are not currently realizing those savings. So it's actually getting to financial alignment. 
And what are the next steps in terms of financial alignment? I know the health plan is sort of step one along that journey, but is there anything else you can do along the journey of financial alignment to make sure that all of the end users are shopping for care and that providers maybe even list prices more explicitly on their sites or or what have you? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of what we can do, I would love to get to a a place where, you know, and we're exploring this actively is, you know, in addition to, being able to provide that alignment with these smaller businesses that can't today in the hopes that then premiums will lower, you know, and then it will have a direct impact on individual employees. I think that that we would love to find a way to go a step further with HSAs, for example, or HRAs, where you're actually putting that money directly back in individuals' bank accounts. Originally, we want to try and do HRAs, but they aren't portable. Then there's some, there's, there's some regulatory things to get through. But I think that, that that's the next step to further that alignment and, and the cost savings. Got it. That makes sense. So what are, what are the next steps for you guys in the next couple of months uh, before launching the health plan? Is it still sort of setting up operationally on the back end to be able to launch that in January? What, what are the next couple of months look like for Firefly? Yeah. So the next couple of months, in terms of the smaller SMBs, this is really peak buying season. So they're just beginning to buy benefits right now. So we're on the road selling. And we're continuing to flesh out sort of the different parts of member experience. So we're in really great places, um, but just really continuing across the company, anything from member marketing materials, member kits, finalizing our ID cards, things like that. Perfect. And and I'd like to wrap up by asking uh, what your hiring plans are for Firefly and, and whether you have any opportunities. Many of our listeners are MBA students. So if you have any higher plans in the next couple of months to, to support some of these goals. Yeah. So we're hiring across the board and we have many enlisted positions and always welcome speaking with talent. So if you're interested in Firefly, definitely reach out. My email is at firefly.health. Uh, I would say a few key areas, software engineers, um, hiring across the commercial and marketing area, customer success, sales, more senior roles, VP of people, CFO, and then on the clinical side, behavioral health specialists. So those are licensed social workers, RNs, family MDs, and health guides. So really across the board. Sounds like you're hiring and growing pretty fast. Well, this is all super exciting stuff. Faye, thank you so much for joining us. This was an awesome conversation. Thanks, Tim. 